Welcome to the Business Influencer Podcast, where we will be interviewing and exploring the success stories of entrepreneurs, business leaders, senior policymakers, and getting insights from thought leaders around the issues of the day, which may include tech, geopolitics, finance, global business, entrepreneurship, and leadership. Uh, this podcast is available on all platforms, but for those of you who prefer to watch, we have the Natural Media YouTube channel, so pop over, subscribe, and you can watch all the interviews. My name is Ninda Johar. I'm the co-founder of the Natural Group and Signature Awards and a co-publisher of the Business Influencer magazine, and I will be your host for the show. So in this episode, we will be looking at the role of non-executive directors and what leadership looks like in the most high-profile boards in the country. What sort of skill sets does the modern non-exec director need to have? Why is leadership in the boardroom so important? And how has the role changed in the last few years, especially during testing times? Can't think of anyone better than the chair of Tesco's PLC, John Allen CBE. He's also the chair of Home Builders, Barrett Developments, and has extensive commercial experience within retail logistics and house building. He's deputy chair at Retailer Dixon's Carphone Warehouse, where he was the instrumental figure in the 3.7 billion merger of Dixon's and Carphone Warehouse. And if that's not enough, he's the vice president of the CBI, where he was also president from June 18 to June 20. Uh, he's currently the winner of the FTSE 100 Non-Executive Director Awards, and I look forward to sitting with him as a fellow judge. So without any further delay, let's go over to the Business Influencer Podcast and have a listen to the views of the highly respected John Allen CBE. Good morning, John. Um, thank you for taking time out. I, I know your diary is jam-packed because you are chair of Tesco's and Barrett Home. So thank you very much. And I know you've got other meetings lined up, so I'm going to fly straight in. So very quickly, John, um, what is the role of a NEG? And what's the role of a board? Why do we need these? Because often... In the past, they've always been referred to as nodding heads, people who just nod heads. Is that true? What is the role of a net? No, it's it's a very important role, Linda. I mean, the um, the UK model of corporate governance is all about having a unitary board where everyone on the board, whether they're executives or non-executives, have joint and several responsibility for everything that happens. Uh, and they are obviously close to the action. So I think the challenge for the non-executives is to help guide, steer, support the executives, occasionally challenge them if they think they're in danger of heading off in the right in the wrong direction. Yep. But you know, that shouldn't be, it's it's not intended to be a kind of confrontation. Uh, it's about building a cohesive team where some of the people who are there are really, you know, helping to kind of ensure the ship doesn't steer in the wrong direction um, and it's quite a subtle thing and it involves I think non-executives having to have quite significant interpersonal skills but it's very different you know I've been both an executive manager for over many decades and a non-executive over almost as long it does involve a different skill set. So, so in terms of the strategy of an organization who owns that? Is that the executives of the board? People are often confused about who owns the strategy of an organization. Yeah, I think there isn't a one-size-fits-all, but what works best in my experience is where the management team led by the CEO come up with a proposed strategy or possibly alternative strategies, 
And then the board as a whole debates it, refines it, buys into it. And then I think the management team go off and execute it. So I think the management team have a vital role to play. They should come up with the strategy. They need to carry it through. And then the board is there, I think, to review it, if, if necessary, modify it, and then to endorse it and give them full-hearted support. And as someone who's, you know, you, you've, you've said you've chaired and you've been a non-exec for many years. Um, so what sort of skills does a non-exec director have to have? And how do you know, by the way, John, that you're chairing a board that's functioning well? So what does a skill set look like? And what sort of skills do they have? And how do you know it's working well? Right. That's about 10 questions, Linda, but I'll try and answer <laughs> them all. Look, I think, first of all, the skills that non-executives need um, and the attitude of mind they need, I think they've got to have the ability to influence. You know, they can't sort of throw their dolls out of the pram at the, door, at the board meeting. They can't order the executives to do things. They've actually got to influence them, persuade them um, to move in a certain direction or not to move, not to do something that's kind of unwell. So I think influence skills are very important. Communication skills are important. And communication is not just about speaking to people. It's the ability to listen carefully and form conclusions on that. I think they've got to be willing to work hard to actually get to know the business. Because I think businesses where the non-executives really understand the business, and boards like that are likely to be more effective than, you know, I've occasionally sat on boards where some non-executives they drop into the meeting, they attend the meeting, they participate, and then they drop out. But they never really get to know the business. And I think even though they may be talented people, they're less effective than if they really get to know it. So that for that reason, induction programs for new non-executives are very important. Uh, getting them involved as much as they can in the business uh, so that they can actually can make intelligent, insightful comments to the executives rather than just, you know, in principle, I think it's better to do A than B. Um, so I think it's quite a challenging role. Um, and I think if anything, non-executives are probably a bit underpaid for the amount of time they really do need to put into the job in order to do it in a really thorough, full-hearted way. Uh, now, John, you were a very successful CEO of Excel. Um, you led the takeover of Deutsche Post. 3.6 billion. Uh, so you've been there, you've been at the sharp end. How hard is it? I mean, these are one of the things I do notice with Neds. The distinction with my next question is, how hard is it to let go of the reins of implementation of a strategy when you become a Ned or a chair? Because some people think they're going to dive in and that's what causes the problem between the board and the chief, chief exec or the execs when the roles get a bit confused. So, yeah, how yeah. hard is it and how and how hard do you have to work with non-execs to explain the distinction? Well, I think if you select, you know, good non-executives uh, and part of the role of the chair, because, you know, people sometimes say, what the heck does the chair do? Well, part of his job, I think, is to actually try to construct a board, not on his own, but in concert with others that actually has a mix of skills and is capable of working together, you know, genuinely divorce, diverse board in the fullest sense of the word. And I think if you've got good people, they will be able to understand the distinction between signing off on a strategy, you know, perhaps suggesting modifications to it, but then standing back and letting the management get on with it. Because it is very debilitating for management if the non-execs are so all over them 
that they feel that they're being you know impeded from doing their job so i think the chairman's job is to make sure that doesn't happen now um <clears throat> you know the word diversity is popular all the time in the in the, in the truest sense of the word yeah um, so how important is it to have diversity and, and and how do you make that distinction between having the right person and yet having diversity it's, it's quite a quite a difficult Thing to, so how important is it, diversity? What does it bring on a board? Well, I think, like you know, I think if you use diversity in the broader sense, not just it terms of gender diversity and ethnic yeah. diversity, but also diversity of thought, diversity of experience and so on, I think right across the board it is absolutely vital. I think diverse boards are likely to make better decisions. They're, they're less likely to get into kind of groupthink where, you know, everyone sits down and decides on the same, they're all from the same background and they all come to the same conclusion. So I genuinely believe that, you know, diversity on boards, it's not just a kind of moral imperative, but it's also, I think, something that makes boards more effective. And I have never found it difficult to find, you know, candidates with diverse backgrounds who are superbly talented. You know, I don't think you have to compromise on the, standards you set for recruiting people to the board you've just got to be willing to look in the right directions to find really great people from all sorts of different backgrounds now the step up from just a mid to being a chair i think is quite a big one i think it's quite a big one uh, and, and i think part of the role of a chair i think is stakeholder engagement mm-hmm. um, now would you say that is the one of the major roles? Because obviously communication skills, you referred to that earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need that in spades. And I know you've got it in spades because you were president of the CBI. So you understand working with governments. Mm-hmm. And in today's uh, markets, the activist shareholder is quite quite aggressive in what they want. So who's is that more the role of a, of a chair or a non-exec? Uh, uh, sorry, exec. Or is that really now at, at the sort of responsibility of a chair now? I think it depends on the company and it depends on the stakeholder, frankly. Um, look, I think in many cases, the right people to be involved with stakeholders, you know, if you're having detailed negotiations with government about some aspect of uh, legislation that's going to impact on your company, then it may very well be executives are the right people to do that. In, in terms of investor relations, I think the CEO and the head of investor relations should lead the charge. What I do in the companies I'm involved with is I make myself available to any shareholder who wants to talk to me. And sometimes they want to talk about different matters. You know, they, they may want to talk about strategy or management or, you know, how we're coping with a particular ESG challenge. But I would hesitate to try and get in in between the management and the investors. I think I think my role, frankly, is secondary. Uh, it can still be important, but it's secondary to the primary relationships which ought to be between management and most stakeholders. Now, just occasionally, we'll sit down as a board and the board or the management will say to me, look, I think it's better if you lead the charge on this particular contact. And, and I'm always happy to respond to that. But I would be wary of chairman who think that... You their job is to go out and represent the company to to everyone but it is company specific you know there are yeah. some uh some sectors there are some geographies where the chairman being very visible as a sort of visible manifestation of the company is very important so i don't think there's a one size fits all sorry just for clarity, you referred to the esg can you can you maybe just 
tell anybody who doesn't understand what, what yeah means. yeah it's a kind of environmental and social and um uh governance aspects of the board and increasingly investors are interested in that you know the old days when all they were really interested in is are you making enough money and are you generating enough cash to stay solvent have now been replaced with yes those things are very important but we also want businesses that conduct themselves appropriately and are recognized that they have got responsibilities to stakeholders that's been formalized by in law now by the section 172 of the companies act which says you do have to take account of the needs of stakeholders like your customers your employees your suppliers local communities and so on and but i think all that's done is been to make law what good companies were already doing and investors now have people within them who are focused on those issues because they've convinced themselves increasingly that companies that are well behaved in terms of ESG are actually likely to be better long-term investments. So I think every company I'm involved with takes this very seriously now, and so do our investors. So uh, I know before, and we'll come to the uh, pandemic in a second, I know before the pandemic, there was a real surge in those kind of issues. Absolutely. Mm. Do you think that's now changed? And do you think boards are now saying, okay, we know that's important. We know the environment is important. We know the stakeholders are important. But actually, business resilience is now the major issue. That's what we're going to focus on. And we're going to park those kind of issues. Or are you still, as a board, having to wrestle with both, irrespective of the crisis? Yes. Look, I think it's the second, very clearly. Yes, of course, the pandemic has made businesses think about resilience, ensuring that they're going to be able to keep going. But, you know, that's that's in addition to these other responsibilities. It doesn't license us to do all sorts of things that are not uh, sensible in terms of our, our long-term sustainability, um, you know, just because we've got a pandemic on. And, you know, I'll give you an example. I think if you're very clear on what you want to do, it kind of becomes easier to make decisions. Tesco took an almost instantaneous decision at the start of the pandemic to send 26,000 employees who had pre-existing medical conditions and therefore were thought to be you know, potentially vulnerable home to shield for 12 weeks on full pay because we thought that was the right thing to do for our, our people, our colleagues. Um, that decision was taken in hours. You know, we didn't linger over it and that decision was taken very largely by the management because they knew that we had a very clearly articulated purpose so i say all credit to the management who you know weren't distracted by the short-term issues of kind of keeping the business going from doing what was in the long-term interest of a an important section of our workforce so in, in terms of thanks for that so in, in, in terms of um, a net itself and you said so mm-hmm. What sort of skills does a NED bring to an organization? So how would an exec team or a board or exec um, executive structure, actually, what would they benefit from having a non-exec board? What, what, you know, what sort of skills? Yeah. Well, it, it depends on the non-executive. You know, if you've constructed the board properly, you've thought about what are the skills we need to have on the board that are relevant to our future. And then... Um, how can we find people who will actually bring experience or expertise or both in those areas? 
so that, for example, um, you know, you know, you need to have people with financial expertise on the audit committee. So you probably try to ensure you've got one or two people who have, you know, finan a financial background so that your the audit committee is appropriately staffed. Increasingly now, um, uh, there is a concern about uh, the whole ESG issues that we've been talking about. So having someone who's actually got some experience, some expertise in sustainability may be, uh, may be relevant. Um, uh, if you've got an important focus on the customer, maybe someone with a marketing background might be relevant to that. So the way that you know, the boards I'm on, we try to put boards together is we really have a sort of grid of you know, what are the um, experience or expertise attributes that we need and what have the existing board members got? And if we then go out looking for someone, what are the obvious missing ingredients that we now need to, uh, now need to fill? And we're also doing that in terms of diversity as well. And, you know, and, I, and it's, not, it's not mechanical because you don't necessarily find people who've got exactly the skills mix you need. But I think it, it, it stops you just recruiting people because they're, you know, they're good people, um, but who may not add anything to the existing skills on the board. So, I, and again, I think, you know, the chairman in most companies leads the charge on that, but it's the responsibility of the nominations committee who will get together, to, you know, to review perhaps a proposal the chairman has come up with. And then if they sign off on it, we go looking for people to, to fit the bill. What we have seen, and, and, and you've definitely seen it as chair of, of Tesco's, is the role of digital. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I know we're talking about online shopping and, mm -hmm. uh, and we're talking, you just referred to the fact that you now have a wider remit than maybe in the past when it was all about, we're looking after the shareholders, that's our job. Our job is just to make sure the numbers look right so the shareholders are happy with the performance. So with this changing world with a competitive environment, particularly if you look at Aldi and all these kind of people moving mm -hmm. into that space, do you think the skills of a Ned now are definitely changing going forward? Are you now looking at looking forward, projecting forward, saying, well, actually, now the kind of people we need on board are no longer just the accountants looking at them, but they need a wide... And what sort of skill set do you think a mm -hmm. Ned you'd be looking for going forward in this new changing world? Well, I think, you know, you, you, there, there, there is a change. For example, the whole digital issue is becoming more important for almost every company. And therefore, you know, unsurprisingly, uh, non-executives who have got experience in, you know, who, who have worked in a digital environment, who've got real expertise uh, there are highly desirable, you know, and that's something that is on the agenda in terms of uh, we're looking for a number of NEDs. I'm, I've almost finished the process of finding some new NEDs for Tesco because some of our colleagues uh, retire next summer. One of the people that we've earmarked to join the board next year actually has got a very, very serious digital background, and that was one of the uh, gaps that we we had. Um, you know, so I think you I think you can pinpoint it. it won't be the same for every company, uh, but I think for each company you can work out what are the most serious um, lack of experience or expertise areas of the existing board. And then, you know, you probably won't find somebody who tick all the boxes, but can you find someone who ticks several boxes? And this particular individual who we are going to ask to join our board because of uh, their digital experience has also got serious retail experience as well, which is a sort of second, second tick in the box. 
often, um, and, and you'll be familiar with this, John, headlines in the business news is failing business. How the hell did the chief exec get that kind of bonus? How was his mm-hmm. salary set? So, so that, that's quite difficult. It could be a poison chalice for somebody who's at the chair of the norms and remuneration committee. What sort of steps do you take to avoid being lambasted in the press with that kind of thing? It's quite difficult. Well, it is, particularly because, you know, often schemes, uh, remuneration schemes are uh, are agreed and then implemented and then mature some years later. And, you know, you've, you may have to live with the consequences of stuff that was agreed some years ago. But I think that, you know, it's it's important, well, first of all, to try to get it right. And that's, you know, you're forecasting the future. That's not always easy if you set targets and so on as well. Um and then I think, you know, the remuneration committee chair in particular has to have, I think, the kind of fortitude, strength of character to be able to live with the fact that sometimes things will not work out the way that the outside world thinks are right. Sometimes things will not work out the way management think are right. You know, so you, they, can, they, they can be criticized from either regard, that either the payouts have been too generous or they've been too mean. And I think they're trying to walk a very difficult tightrope between that. And so I think it's a tough gig. People used to say the audit committee chair was the most demanding chair on the, uh, uh, on the, on the board of board committees. I think that's now been replaced by remuneration. So you actually need it. If you need anything, you know, you, you need all sorts of skills to be a good remuneration committee chair. But one of them, I think, is the ability to kind of, you know, stand by your position and, and absorb a certain amount of criticism without getting too kind of depressed over it. So you need strong characters, I think, in these roles. Now, the, the news everywhere uh, is around, obviously, uh, the furlough, um, the actual uh, real stressful situation businesses find themselves. So when, when, when a board is in the middle of a crisis like this, how does it change the functioning of a board? Do you meet more regularly? Uh, how does it change? Because, I mean, this is, you know, this is a real crisis. And both of the companies you've chaired are huge businesses. So how, do, how does the functioning of a board change in this kind of crisis? Yeah. Well, look, again, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution to this, but certainly the boards I've been involved with. I mean, first of all, I think it's vital that the board doesn't attempt to usurp the role of management in these situations. Management are having to take a lot of decisions very quickly. They don't have the luxury of actually being able to go back to the board all the time. So I think the first thing you've got to do is to be very clear that the board have got to give management enough room, enough headroom to get on with making the urgent decisions that they will need to make in a crisis. And secondly then, but on the other hand, the board would quite like to know what's going on and devising some sort of information mechanism it may be regular uh, updates from the ceo it may be very regular short board calls to keep the board informed um, and getting that balance but what you don't need i think and would be very counterproductive is the board attempt to get all over everything um, because that would actually frustrate the hell out of management slow the pace of decision making which may need to be very fast so i think this standing back if anything probably meeting more frequently, but for shorter meetings, because you have to recognize, you know, there are, there are only so many hours in the day, but management are incredibly busy in a crisis and keeping them sitting around 
for a whole day in a board meeting is not necessarily good use of their time. And again, I think, you know, part of the role of the chair is to sort of assess what's the right way to give management sufficient headroom and the board sufficient information. That's what you're trying to, I think, you know, you're trying to satisfy both those needs. A couple of questions left, John. So let me just pile on with this one. As the ex-president of the CBI, uh, you were in that period, your tenure was in the period when we were negotiating around Brexit. Um, now, we've had this challenge. We've got one coming up another couple of months. Do you think, as someone who understands business really well, do you think businesses are resilient enough for Brexit? Um, I think it's been very difficult for business because, you know, to be honest, um, business is occasionally criticised by politicians for not doing enough in terms of preparation. But, you know, we don't actually know what we're preparing for at the moment. And the fact is that the negotiations on Brexit, as, as we talked today, are still going to the wire. You know, what one hopes there will be a positive outcome, but there may not. And so I think what business are trying to do is to prepare for both, both the prospect of a no deal in a very short period of time at a very unfortunate time of year um, and off the back of the COVID crisis or the possibility that there will be a deal and relatively normal life will continue. So I think every business that I talk to, and I talk to quite a lot, people are trying, doing their damnedest to get ready for that while not knowing what the outcome is actually going to be. And I think they deserve, business deserves some sympathy, I think, from government and as much support as they can possibly get from government. And the best support government could give us, frankly, would be to get to a, a deal quickly. Um, and I, I struggle to understand why reasonable people cannot bridge the remaining gaps in negotiation because, you know, a no deal Brexit will be bad news for the UK, certainly in the short term, and it will be bad news for the EU. You know, it's a lose-lose situation for both parties. And you would have thought that would impel people, propel people towards trying to find a solution. And, you know, fingers crossed that may still happen, but who knows? Um, so, John, you've, I know you've got a, a really busy diary, but you've managed to squeeze in for the government a role with helping them around COVID-19? Perhaps if you could spend just a short space. What, yeah, how are you yeah. helping them? Just intrigued. Well, we're trying to help the country rather than the government, frankly. Yeah. But a bunch of business, large businesses have got together. Tesco is one of them, but also Shell, Vodafone, AstraZeneca, British Land. I could go on to fund a commission to come up with a post-COVID recovery plan. Now, government are aware of what we're doing. They're supportive of us trying to do it, but we're not working for government anymore okay. than we're working for anyone else. We are talking to politicians, national politicians of all parties, the mayors. We're trying to put together a program that once we can see some light at the end of the tunnel in terms of COVID, it will help to address the fact that we think that, you know, the economy has suffered enormously. Many people have suffered. Many jobs have disappeared not to return. How do we actually put some energy back and some growth back into the economy, particularly in terms of jobs? Jobs for new people, young people coming into the workforce, but also jobs for people who in the existing workforce have been displaced and may need to be retrained. Now, we'll come up with the best ideas we can in the early part of next spring, and then it will be up to government and others to decide whether 
we've got any ideas that are worth implementing, but we will be trying very hard. Last question, and I'm going to let you go. Um, right, you've had, uh, well, you were recently uh, awarded the non-exec director of the year. Well mm -hmm. done. Uh, you've held some of the most high-profile jobs in the city. What advice, finally, would you give to other business leaders during this real testing, challenging times? You know, I think one of the characteristics of that I think chairs need and also non-executives um, is the ability to keep calm and not to panic. There's nothing that is more demoralizing for management than a recognition that the rest of the board are in blind panic. And I think that, you know, we all have a responsibility if we're in non-executive roles to kind of keep calm, think about what the best solutions are, support management who've got a really, really tough sort of task. And I think, you know, something that, you know, I've learned, I think probably in later life, I probably was much less calm when I was younger, is how important it is to, you know, support management by being calm. And this old saying about, you know, keep calm and carry on sort of thing, it's as true of boards as it is elsewhere. Um, so I'd say that's, you know, that, that's, that's one of the issues of the crisis. Be available also to management, but don't overcrowd them when they're very busy. Um, uh, I'd, I'd probably stop there, I think. You know, there's, uh, I, could, I could go on, but that, two things would be enough. Keep calm and, you know, be, make yourself available to management as much as ever they need, but not more than they want. John, I reckon your phone is going to ring any second for your next meeting. So at that point, I'll say thank okay. you very much for accommodating us. I know you're a really busy chap. And listen, good luck with everything with Tesco's, Barrett's and everybody else. And of course, this and, help. And good luck to you. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Cheers, John. Bye Speak soon. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye now.